Ladies and gentlemen, to those among you who are easily frightened, we suggest you turn away now. To those of you who think they can take it, we say, welcome to the madhouse. Welcome to this special competition winner episode of the Madhouse Podcast. Today we are possessed by the spirit of our winner, Zoe Heslop, and forced into doing her bidding. Luckily for us, she has good taste and has bidded us to review the classic horror film, The Exorcist. I am Joey, and joining me again is the man who was possessed by no less than four demons, but it turns out they're all preferable to the original guy, so we just leave them in there. It's Jimmy! Hello! Oi, oi, how's it going? I'm alright, thank you. How are you? Alright, a bit embarrassed because I have literally left all my gear at home. And I don't mean the good gear, I mean my laptop, headphones, all that kind of business. Notes. Notes, everything, so... It's all going to be riding on young Joey. As long as you've brought your sass. i got my sass. Always got the sass. We might I've got get through sass it. sass in the cans is what I've got. I've got a bag of cans. <laughs> That's all you need. Yeah, the southern sass. So I have kitted you out with a tablet. Yes. And you've searched up some stuff you had to say. So <laughs> Jimmy is freestyling today with the internet at his fingertips. So if I sound like a tit, it's because I'm a tit. So there you go. Yeah, so what are we starting with? Uh, we're going to do a plot slot. I mean, we're doing The Exorcist. Congratulations to Zoe Heslop for Absolutely. winning our competition. Thank you for picking a good film as well. In fact, everyone picked good films, but yeah. there you go. Um, did you watch uh, the director's cut? Yes, did I did. Did you watch the... Uh, what one did I watch? The uh, the version you've never seen before, I think it was called. I did. Yeah. Oh, no. Uh, don't know. Okay. I got... I've got a Blu-ray that has all the discs in. Okay, it's two nice. two hours twelve minutes. The one I watched. Yes. Yep. That's okay. the one. That's the director's cut. Uh, yeah. So, Exorcist, highest grossing Warner Brothers Brothers film of all time, and Absolutely. ninth most popular ever when you adjust for inflation. Yeah, it's mental because it it only it cost what was it twelve mil- million the budget? Yeah. And what is it grossed? It's like four hundred and forty three. Million, 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 <laughs> yeah. million dollars, million yeah. pounds, something like that. It's f- mental. I don't have that figure. I don't know for a fact you don't. So no, it's probably right. I think it is right. Uh, first horror film to be nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. It's got a lot. Uh, yeah, it's got a lot, a lot of awards. awards. This, isn't it? Filmed in two hundred two hundred and twenty-four days, although it was originally scheduled for only eighty-five. We'll get into some of the reasons why that happened later on. Oh, okay. And a poll was taken in 2007, I can't say words today, Jimmy, No. Uh, in the Times newspaper uh, to find the top 50 scariest films, and The Exorcist came on top of that list. Wow. The UK. Oh. Times. Right. Yep. Still. Did you think it was scary? Uh, yes, it's a... I thought it was quite a scary film. Because they, they had to have um, ambulances, didn't they, on uh, standby? When it was released. Yeah, there were people passing out at the cinema, throwing Heart up. attacks and stuff. They yeah. don't like some of the scenes in it. 
which we're going to get into later, much like that crucifix yeah. got into. It's, um, sorry, finish that sentence. No, <laughs> I don't know. We'll get to it. <laughs> uh, no, it's a scary film, and it has some good jumps in it. It has that. Uh, when you say scared, I find it hard because there's different types of scared. Yeah, and this was the chills down the spine sometimes. This film, kind of yes, like. chills multiply. It's more like, <sighs> yeah, like rather that. than a. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and all the other sound effects. <laughs> uh, so, should we do the plot of Slotteth? Plot slot, yeah. Uh, you starting, or am I start? I'll start. Cause you're having a drink, Father Lang. Oh, hang on, timer. Timer, come on. That's we dipshit. We're not on top form. I certainly am not. But sorry, Zoe. Yeah, you've only got yourself to blame. <laughs> it's a long film. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, off we go. Okay. Father Lancaster Merrin, played by Max von der Sydow, or Sydow, is an elderly Catholic priest in an archaeological dig in Iraq. Merrin has a sense of foreboding and encounters a number of strange omens, including the unearthing of a series of confusing items, a near-miss with a runaway horse-drawn carriage, and a clock that stops ticking in mid-stroke. Finally, Merrin discovers a statue of a bizarre, demonic figure. Although the film does not mention it, it is the representation of of a demonic figure known as Pazuzu. Pazuzu uh, from ancient Mesopotamia, I believe. Uh, we're not going to start talking about aliens again. Aww. Plot slot. Back in the United States, Washington, D.C., upscale Georgetown neighborhood, a successful actress named Chris McNeil begins experiencing strange phenomena. Chris lives with her 12-year-old daughter, Reagan, her personal assistant, Sharon, and her two housekeepers. Reagan's father is estranged for reasons unknown. There are mysterious and unexplained sounds in the attic of the house which Chris attributes to rats. Reagan slowly begins to exhibit strange behaviour, undergoing behavioural changes, much like depression and anxiety. She turns up in Chris's bed one night, complaining that her own bed was shaking. Chris is working on a new film in Georgetown with a director known as Burke Dennings, played by Jack McGowan. And he's a bit of a Burke. Is, yeah. Uh, yes. While filming a scene one day, she notices a young Catholic priest watching her. His name is Damien Karras, played by Jason Miller. Father Karras. Is it Karras or Karras what we're going with? I don't know what's right. Pick one. Yeah, because they always, they sort of say it in a hushed tone, his thing. Yeah. Uh, let's go with Karras. Karras. Yeah. Yeah. He has a background in psychology and counsels parishioners at a nearby church. Chris also noticed him while walking home from the shoot one day. Yeah, I don't know why she gets fixated on him. He's odd. It's he's got a touch of the uh he's got the touch of the rocky about him. Yeah, he has, yeah. He's got uh the look of a a rough kind of drinker, but is yeah. a priest. So and he's a boxer just, as well, isn't he? He used to be a boxer. He yeah. used to be a boxer. Right. Well, how are we saying it? Carras. Carras is thoughtful, conflicted man. He discusses his vocation with the superior and asks to be transferred because he feels he's losing his faith. He has an elderly mother who lives alone in a slum in New York. Uh, he visits her and is reminded of how lonely her life is, and he feels guilty that she has to live in such poor surroundings. New York. <laughs> that was brilliant. 
the strange occurrences in the McNeil house begin to increase. Reagan reveals that she has been playing with a Ouija board and claims that she has the ability to communicate with a spiritual entity all by herself. A nearby Catholic church is desecrated, a statue of the Virgin Mary painted crudely and adorned with conical clay additions made to resemble breasts and a penis. A very sharp penis, isn't it? Sharp breasts as well. Madonna breasts. Yes, Maybe Madonna if Madonna breasts. had a penis, that's yeah. what it would look like. Yeah. Reagan also works with clay and paint. Coincidence? I think not. She makes <laughs> small animal sculptures. Meanwhile, Father... Say it however you want. Karaz. <laughs> Karaz's mother falls ill and due to lack of funds, she is placed in a very shabby hospital and resigned to a ward full of mental patients. And that's her brother that puts her there, isn't it? Yeah. F- Tight git. She, well, what's she done? She's hurt her leg, isn't she? She's got a bad leg. Yeah. And then they put her in a mental bit. Yeah. Mental. Exactly. <laughs> uh, he, well, father's, it, the father's distraught and he, when he visits her, and she seems to blame him for her situation. Mental, it was her brother. Later, she passes away under these conditions... Adding to his sorrow. Chris has an elaborate party at her home. It's not that elaborate, she's got a piano. With a number of affluent <laughs> guests. One of her guests is another Jesuit named Father Dyer, played by Reverend William O'Malley. Yeah, an actual, he's an actual priest. Yeah. And Chris asks him about Carras. Having noticed him and referring to him as intense, she finds that Carras and Dyer are good friends. During the party, Reagan appears... Uh, happy and social, but she reappears after being sent to bed, dressed in her nightgown, and urinates on the carpet in front of the guests while making an ominous statement to a prominent astronaut, saying, you're going to die up there. Yeah, you're going to die up there, and then wheeze on the carpet. After the guests leave, Chris bathes Reagan and puts her to bed, but is startled by a loud sound from Reagan's bedroom. She rushes back down the hall and discovers Reagan's bed shaking violently, rising up off the floor with Reagan on it. Chris jumps on the bed and it's still levitating. So Chris subjects Reagan to a series of medical tests to discover what the problem is. The doctors are unable to discover anything. Despite putting Reagan through some grueling, painful procedures, the best they can come up with is that Reagan may have a lesion on her brain. But ultimately, they are frustrated when nothing appears on her brain scan. Yeah, they ain't got a f- clue, have they? What's not, going on? Nope, not at all. At Chris's house, Reagan suffers what appears to be a seizure, and two doctors visit to assist. They find her rising and falling up and down on the bed in a way that seems impossible for a human being. When they Try to sedate her, she hurls them across a room with abnormal strength, speaking to them in what seems to be a male voice. Keep away. Like that. That's a male voice, in case you know. Keep away. <laughs> Eventually, they sedate her. Out of options, they advise Chris to search for a psychiatrist, but they also reluctantly discuss another possibility. They mention the phenomenon of demonic possession and the right of exorcism. While they seem to hold professional contempt for it, they do admit that it has been known to solve problems such as what Reagan is going through. Chris is sceptical, having no real religious affiliation of her own. The situation worsens when Chris is out one evening. She returns to find the house deserted except for Reagan, who is alone in her bedroom and appears to be in deep sleep. The bedroom is freezing cold. 
the window is standing wide open and she is uncovered. Sharon returns and Chris is furious with her for leaving Reagan unattended. But Sharon explains she left Reagan in the care of Burke, who is a Burke, Absolute and has left. Because uh, he was visiting the house. And uh, there was implications in this film that he may have been uh, diddling. I think he was molesting her, yes. Yeah, uh, but while she went to the pharmacy to get Reagan's medication, Burke left. Burke's absence is unexplained until the doorbell rings and an associate of Chris's breaks the news that Burke has just died on the steps outside Chris's house. Shortly after this, Chris is visited by a kindly detective named Kinderman, who seems suspicious of Burke's death. He questions Chris about the events of that evening, and Chris is nervous, hesitant to tell him about Reagan's problems. While he is visiting, he notices a few small animal figures that Reagan has crafted. They are similar in style to the desecration of the statue in the church. Uh, he also finds one at the foot of the stairs where Burke died as well, doesn't he? Yes. Kinderman leaves and immediately a violent disturbance comes from Reagan's bedroom. Chris hears a deep male voice bellowing at Reagan to do it. And Reagan screaming in protest. In the bedroom, Chris finds Reagan plunging a crucifix violently into her vagina. <laughs> that looks really painful. Yeah, I don't think... At the I end of the film, they say she has no memory of this. And I'm like, a few days ago, she was plunging a crucifix, bleeding like that in that area. She's going to have some questions. You're going to be sore, I imagine. Yes. Uh, anyway, I've lost myself. When Chris tries to stop her, Reagan assaults her with impossible strength. And uh, furniture around the room starts to move on its own. As Chris watches in horror, her daughter's head turns completely around backwards and she speaks to Chris in Burke's voice saying to her, Do you know what she did? Your c***ing daughter. Chris then realises that Reagan is responsible for Burke's death. Desperate, Chris arranges to meet with Father Carras. When he mentions the notion of exorcism, Carras is almost amused. He tells her that exorcism is nearly unheard of and that he doesn't know anybody who has ever performed one. Chris is distraught and convinces him to meet with Reagan anyway. Carras is shocked by the girl's appearance. She is tied to the headboard of her bed, her face misshapen and covered in lesions, her voice deep and gravelly. Reagan announces that she's the devil and toys with Carras in a number of ways, seeming to make a drawer next to the bed open all by itself. Then... Speaking to Karas in a number of languages, she also conjures up the voice of a subway vagrant that Karas had encountered alone earlier. Karas remains unconvinced, and when Reagan claims your mother is in here with us, Karas asks her what his mother's maiden name is. Oh, goddammit. Unable to answer, <laughs> Reagan. What? It's not like Cartman. Goddammit. <laughs> 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 Unable to answer, Reagan vomits spectacularly all over him. <laughs> Chris cleans Carras's sweater and discusses Reagan with him. Carras is still not convinced that Reagan is possessed, especially because Reagan says she's the devil and he recommends psychiatric care for her. Chris pleads with him to help her obtain an exorcism, swearing that the thing in the bed upstairs is not her daughter. While Carras, am I still saying that wrong? It doesn't really matter. Uh, I'm, I'm getting flashbacks to the mummy episode. I couldn't say his name either. Anyway. Well, Car what, how are you saying it? I'm saying Carras. Carras. How Carras thinks it's over. He's approached by Kinderman, who questions him about the fact that the desecration of the church could be connected to Burke's death. 
What he's unable to tell Chris was that Burke's body was found with his head turned completely around backwards and the police department consider it a homicide. Kinderman knows that Karras, fuck's sake, suspects something unusual about the McNeil house, but he's confident, what's that, confidently. (laughs) His confidentiality as a priest (laughs) prevents him from discussing it with Kinderman. Uh, Father K visits Reagan again <laughs> and records their conversation during which he sprinkles Reagan with water. He tells her it is holy water and she begins to writhe in pain, seemingly going into a trance and speaking in a strange language. Later, he tells Chris that it will be difficult to make a case with the bishop for possession. The water he sprinkled on Reagan was simply tap water and was not blessed. I like to think that priests have a hot tap, a cold tap and a holy water tap. It would make sense. Although every tap's a holy water tap because they can just bless it when it's out. Yeah, I know, but it's it's more for convenience. Yeah, sure. Like, yeah. quick, like, I don't want to do a blessing, so I'll have this automatic tap that's already blessed. Yeah, you just bless a whole tap. tank. Yeah. And then you have a tap. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. Shit, where are we? I got off on a tangent then. Oh, yes, I know. The bishop and Father K himself would consider Reagan to be mentally ill and not possessed. Chris confides in Karras and tells him that Reagan was the one who killed Burke Dennings. Later, Father K uses his tape recordings of Reagan's seemingly incomprehensible babble to discover that she's really speaking backwards in English. A phone call from Sharon interrupts him. She summons him to the house to see Reagan, not wanting Chris to see what's happened. As they look at Reagan's unconscious body, the words... Help me begin to materialise on her stomach, rising up in her skin like scar tissue. Karras reluctantly agrees to try and get an exorcism for Reagan, although he seems to have more in common with the doctors who recommend it as a form of shock therapy. The church calls in Father Merrin to perform the exorcism with Karras assisting. Merrin has performed exorcisms in the past, including a difficult one that nearly killed him. According to the bishop... When Merrin arrives at the McNeil house, Reagan bellows his name from upstairs as if she knows him, and she makes strange animal sounds. He warns Karras about conversing with the demon and reminds him that the demon will mix lies and truth to confuse and attack them. When they enter Reagan's bedroom, she immediately begins with a string of obscenities. Merrin and Karras recite the ritual of exorcism and Reagan manifests strange phenomena such as levitation, telekinesis and an abnormally long tongue and strange vomiting. (laughs) She constantly curses the priest and emits evil laughter and verbal abuse. Reagan begins to talk to Karras in the voice of his mother and he starts to break down. Merrin sends him away. When he returns, he finds Merrin dead on the floor, the victim of a heart attack. Reagan cackles gleefully, infuriating Karras, who grabs her and shouts at the demon, Come into me! Take me! But better. (laughs) The transference works almost immediately. Karras begins to transform and Reagan turns to her normal self. Before Karras can harm her, his normal personality breaks through for a split second and he commits suicide, hurling himself outside of Reagan's window. Yeah, just as Burke did. He tumbles down the stairs outside Reagan's window and he lays dying in the street below. By chance, Father Dyer happens upon the scene and administers the last rites to his friend. In a brief epilogue, we see Chris and Reagan as they prepare to leave the house in Georgetown. 
They are visited by Father Dyer. Chris speaks with him privately and tells him that Reagan doesn't remember anything about the possession or the exorcism or apparently the masturbation and the scars and the horribleness that happened to her face. She's Reagan... bloody clueless now, isn't she? Yeah, strange. But then Reagan appears and greets him cheerfully, transfixed, transfixed by Father Dyer's white collar. Before they leave, she suddenly hugs Father Dyer and kisses him. Yeah, kisses him on the uh, cheek, inappropriate. As Chris pulls away in the car, she orders the driver to stop for a moment and gives Father Dyer the religious medallion that belonged to Father K. In their struggle, Reagan had torn it from his body and it was in her bedroom all along. But then he gives it back to her. Yeah, he says, right. no, no, you, have no you better have this because I don't think it's over yet. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. The Exorcist 2. <laughs> Right, plot slot. Plot slot. Done. You got anything to add now? Or um, are you wait until Frights and Delights? Let's wait until Frights and Delights. Right, well, we've said it twice, but it's time for Frights and Delights. Frights and Delights. Here we go. It's Frights and Delights. Oh, my first fright is that I have forgotten all my stuff. That is a big fright. Massively. So... Let's go. What you got first? I have got uh, Linda Blair, who played uh, Reagan, received yes. death threats from knobhead so-called Christians who think it's okay to threaten young girls because of their own personal beliefs. What? Uh, Warner Brothers had to provide her with bodyguards for six months after the film was released because she was in danger. Why? What were these pricks That's a fright, doing? by the way. Sending death threats. Oh, okay. Well, all because of her acting. Yes. They thought her acting was bad or... No, they thought that, uh, yeah, it was just glorifying Satan and Satanism and devil worship and the occult, all the stuff that they don't like, apparently. Knobheads. Yep. What have you got? Remember any? (laughs) (laughs) No, you keep going and I'll chime in. (laughs) Okay. uh, This one I have as a fright slash delight. In the UK, certain town councils banned the film from cinemas. Fright. The delight is that bus companies took advantage of the situation and the hype around the film and organised exorcist bus trips that took people out of town to places where the film was being banned. I think banning a film just makes it more tempting and gives it free promotion. So I'm sure those bus companies did a right out of it in the end. Absolutely. And I just think of that Father Ted scene where they're all stood outside the, the cinema and they've got, they're just chanting, down with that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So it was probably the same Christians that banned it that were, or sorry, it's, it, I said Christians, it said religious groups, I just assumed. <laughs> uh, but it's probably the same religious groups that made sure it was banned in ta- councils. Yeah. In fact, it wouldn't have been because uh, Linda Blair was in the US, wasn't she? And we're talking about UK town council. Yes, that's true. Moving yes. on. Yeah. Uh, am I just keeping going here? You just keep you going and I'll chime in. Freestyle it, okay? Yeah. Audience members during its original cin- oh, this is a fright and a light, by the way. Oh. Uh, during its original cinema release were often reported as fainting, feeling sick, and in some hysterics. Uh, enter your dildo joke here, Jimmy. Uh, <laughs> the scene that apparently prompted the strongest reactions was the neck cannula or catheter, which is the I think they call it for the neck for a central line, yeah. whatever that is. Uh, as it seems, uh, no, this is said because it 
although it is not the most shocking or weird scene, its very realistic depiction of a real-life procedure was shocking. But surely her masturbating with the crucifix is quite realistic as well. Uh, yeah, but I've, it was said in a few places that the scene that caused the most was this surgery scene at the beginning. Oh, uh, maybe yeah. by the time they got to the crucifix masturbation, they were all like, you know, this is old news now. We've sat through, <laughs> sat through some stuff. <laughs> Seen some things, man. Um, there was a, a teaser trailer for this film that was just an image uh, of the demon's white face of that uh, Pazuzu. Yes. Uh, it flicks up throughout the film in a few places. You might have seen it, just kind of a flash of it by someone's head and that type of thing. Yeah, on the uh, the stove. Yes, yeah. Uh, and uh, but that trailer that had literally just that face flick up was banned because it was deemed too scary. Absolute nonsense. Uh, sorry, it wasn't banned all over the place, oh. just in some theatres. Right. Uh, okay, a delight. Lots of famous people were nearly in this film. Oh yeah, yes, no, yes. I, I'm, I'm going to shout some. Let me. Right, let's play a game. I'll shout out some famous people who were in line for it, and you tell me if I'm right or wrong. Okay, I didn't write them all down by the way because there were a lot, but I have got the main names. So possible. okay, okay. Uh, Jack Nicholson, yes. Marlon Brando, yes. Uh, Audrey Hepburn, yes. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Yes. Her mum wouldn't let her do it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck. Let's that's, go. That's good. I've only got two more. Oh, shit. Do you want okay. a hint for the last one for bonus points? Give me give me a hint for the last two that you got. Uh, I will... Uh, Hollywood mother and daughter duo. Mother and daughter duo? Yeah. Oh. Fuck, I don't What's know. really weird Why is... I'm, the... I'm thinking of Goldie Horn and that other third daughter. It's definitely not them. No. The Mother weird thing is, you've written that you've read the names out the same order I've written them down. <laughs> Literally, just gone down my list. Can you see it from over there? No, I'm not. Even, I'm looking at your uh, kitchen cabinets. Nice, aren't they? Yep. <laughs> so, uh, okay. Do you Go want on. To give me you? a better clue. Give me a better clue. Okay. Than mother and daughter duo. One of them was in Singing in the Rain. Oh, f- I ain't gonna know. This. The other one was in Star Wars. Oh, I don't know. You're gonna have to tell me. Debbie Reynolds and Carrie Fisher. There's no fucking chance I was getting that. All right, so starting off in your first one. Who's the mother daughter? Debbie Reynolds is Carrie Fisher's mum. Right. So the woman from Singing in the Rain is Carrie Fisher's mum. Okay, I've never seen Singing in the Rain. Oh, well, missing out, man. We'll do it next week. <laughs> uh, Jack Nicholson, your first one, yeah? Yeah. Was nearly Father K. Yeah. But fell through because Freakin thought Nicholson was too unholy. Yes. Marlon Brando was the man the studio wanted to play Father Merrin. But Freakin, the director Freakin, by the way. Uh, what's his full name? William Friedkin. Or Friedkin. I'd say Friedkin. Uh, Friedkin. Friedkin. Uh, he didn't want the film to become a Marlon Brando film and it just be about him. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Friedkin wanted Audrey Hepburn to play Chris McNeil, which, which the studio supported, but she insisted they filmed it all in Rome, so they sacked her off sharpish. <laughs> as you would. Uh, the producers wanted Jamie Lee Curtis to play Reagan, but her mother, as you said, didn't let her audition. I know. JLC. That would have been good. It would have been good. Uh, and the Hollywood mother and daughter duo, as we said, Debbie Reynolds and Carrie Fisher were up for the mother-daughter role of Chris and Reagan, although that didn't happen. But I couldn't find out anywhere why it didn't happen, just that it didn't. They so, were probably doing too many drugs together because they were a weird mother and daughter duo. Yeah. So I don't know if this is a fright or delight, but the infamous masturbation sequence was trimmed by 12 seconds. And the shot of the desecrated statue of the Virgin Mary in church was completely cut 
by the bloody Irish film censors when first theatrically released in Ireland. Yeah, and you can say that because you're Irish. (laughs) I couldn't have said that. Top of the morning to you. Uh, You can't say that. No one one can say that. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, the masturbation crucifixy part that you were talking about um, was very toned down from what happened in the novel. In the book, it's much more graphic and sexually explicit. Oh, okay. results in the character Reagan being uh, heavily mutilated and ending in her having an orgasm. Ah. Sick bastard that wrote that book. Yeah, because it doesn't... Same guy who wrote the screenplay, actually, who wrote the book. Yeah, because it doesn't really look like she's having a wank. Do you know what I mean? It's no, like she's, she's stabbing, stabbing herself, herself in that general area. In the lady area. No, but not apparently in the book. Uh, William Peter Blatty wrote the book and rewrote the screenplay. He's a little delight. Uh, the old priest and the young priest repeat the famous phrase, the power of Christ compels you, 14 times. Yeah. I don't know if that means anything. It might do. It might not. They really wanted to get their message across. <laughs> Oh, there's an also, there's another little bit. There's another little delight, I think it is, with the copper who keeps, who asks the priests out. Yes, yeah. To go to the movies, and then they tell him what movie it is, and then the priest goes, I've already seen it. Apparently, that was like an in joke. Yeah. It was like a running gag. It happened twice in the film, and all the people, when they went, Oh, who's in it? Uh, the people who they, he said was in it were people who were nearly in the film. Oh, I think that's there was something shout. like that about that. I didn't add it in my in my list of things to talk about, but yeah, that was a really interesting little tidbit. Yeah, another little delight is based on the exorcism of Roland Doe. I think that's a not a real name. Did you look into that? Yeah, I've got a bit to talk about on it later. Okay, we can well, talk we'll, about it now as well. No, we'll get to that bit later. I've not got it's like a couple of paragraphs. I've got it's nothing huge. No, uh, I got a fright. The film became known for onset injuries. Ellen Burstyn, uh, who played Chris, suffered a spinal injury when a harness pulled her back too hard. This was done when a possessed Reagan was throwing her character Chris across the room. Uh, she fell on her coccyx, and the scream in the film was her real scream. She fell on a what? Coccyx. She fell on a. Coccyx. Coccyx, right, sorry. The tailbone, where we used to have tails. I know, but it's funny because you said it sounds like cocks. And six. <laughs> six. six. Anyway, uh, I've lost myself now. Uh, the scream was real. Linda Blair was hurt and screaming for real when the bed was throwing around, throwing her around, sorry, because apparently she was not expecting it to be that violent. Yeah, it was a bit jerky. It was crazy. 1973, though, wasn't it? Yeah, all the beds were really shaky back then. Is that, is that what you're saying? That's basically what I'm saying, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fright. The filming was surrounded by tales of death and bad luck. A reported nine people associated with the film died during production uh, while shooting the opening scenes in Iraq, which were actually the last things to be shot. Uh, a number of crew members became ill as it was unusually hot even for Iraq at the time and it had to be replaced. A set burnt down causing weeks of delay, which is one of the reasons why there was a big delay on this film and it ran over. Uh, and two actors, Jack McGowan, who played Burt Dennings, and, uh, get ready for this, yep. Vasil Licky Malialos. Oh, very good. I mean, I mean, the it sounded good. It's probably completely wrong, but I liked it. Um, anyway, that's, uh, the woman who played Carras's mother, uh, they both died before the film's release. Yeah. Oh. Uh, and Jason Miller, who was Father K himself, 
had a son who was seriously, um, sorry, in fact, critically hurt while Miller was filming. I couldn't find any more details on that, but it sounded bad. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you got any more? Yeah, I've just scrolled past a couple of things here. Kim Bassinger also auditioned for the role of really? Reagan McNeil, apparently. Yeah. Paul Newman wanted to have a pop at uh, being the uh, father Carras. He didn't get it, but his name is mentioned in it apparently somewhere, but I think I might have missed that. That is one of the people that the father said was in the pl- in the film. Ah, yes. And Melanie Griffith. Melanie Griffith. You're probably saying it right. But see, uh, she was uh, she had a pop at auditioning for Reagan as well. A lot, a lot of big names missed Could out have been on this a film. Totally different film. It would have been yeah, it would have been mental if Nicholson was in Nicholson I, JLC oh, yeah. Newman. Different I, film altogether. But, you know, this is a uh, I've got somewhere down here lightning in a lightning in a bottle Fuck film. me, sorry. I've also just saw another line. Barbara Streisand declined the role of Chris McNeil. Huh. Babs. Yeah. Big nose Babs. Do you know what happened while they were looking for an actress to play Reagan? Uh I don't know. Go on. Uh the search excited though. was taking so long. And I've put this down for you. Okay. The search for someone to play Reagan took so long. They couldn't find someone who was right for it. Uh, obviously, uh, Linda Blair hadn't been yet um, to audition. Her mum took her in, actually. Her agency didn't put her up for it. Oh. Anyway, the process was so exhausting looking Pushy for mom. someone to play Reagan that at one point, freaking uh, thought about using a dwarf instead of a child. <laughs> An adult dwarf. Yes, I... Dwarf. Well, I, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that would have been good. That would have been all right. She has a stunt double, though, doesn't she? Yeah. That is not a dwarf. She didn't do the crucifix masturbation scene herself. It would have been very weird for a 12-year-old girl. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um. Okay. So on that note, I stumbled across <laughs> something yeah. that I thought we could go down the lines of the real exorcisms or try and find something different. So I found something different, and I stumbled across this website. And please, everyone out there, go on this website and have a little pup. Have a little, have a little pup. Have a little look. Uh, it's orderofexorcists.com. Very good. I'm just going to read you out there. It's run by Archbishop Ron Freel. I think it pronounced his name. Who cares? So their mission statement is. Our mission is to help anyone with demonic issues free of charge who are experiencing symptoms of demonic possession, demonic infestation and slash or house disturbances, including evil spirits, demons and demonic hauntings. The Order of Exorcist should be your last call for help. You heard about these fellas? Every day. No, I haven't. No, never heard of them. Contact us if you are experiencing any of the following. One, sound of footsteps on the stairs or floors. No. Uh, does it does it not even say unexplained sounds? Because I hear people on the stairs all the time, but it's people going upstairs. Nope. Two, okay. sound of voices or animal sounds in rooms and walls. Three, bad odours with no natural explanation. Oh, God, they're everywhere. <laughs> Moving blank shadows on floors or walls. Tapping or knocking noises in walls or on the floors. Like that. Clock hands moving backwards. You have a clock? I haven't got a clock in here, just in case they move backwards. Electronic 
Oh, no, sorry. Lights turning themselves on and off. That's just That could just could be your wife turning a light on and off. Electronic equipment such as radios and televisions turning on and off automatically. That happens sometimes anyway, doesn't it? Your TV's on. Now, I don't know why they specify this one. Black human-shaped figures that move or stand. <laughs> <laughs> right, so that's, that's, that's what happens. If you've got any of that, you've got to give these guys a call. Apparently. Now, then I went and clicked on worldwide recruitment, as you do. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to have a little... Po- I you remember now? Eh? You remember now? Well, no, because apparently, and I'll tell you for why, it's not loading. That's embarrassing. Oh, here we go. So, here are the requirements that you need. So, we, we, we recommend that participants be experienced as lead paranormal investigators or appointed exorcist clergy members so none of we're not that but we could blag our way to be a lead paranormal yeah we'll sort that out yeah two at least 21 years of age yeah yeah your boy just yeah press age 23 three in good physical mental health ticking that box yeah believe in good and evil god satan demons and angels i believe in good and evil Okay, we could blag the rest of it. Yeah. Here we go. Here's the kicker. Number I'm not five. below lying. Above lying. No, well, of course we're lying. It's evil. <laughs> five. Here's the kicker. Have a computer. Oh, so close. I oh, know. Six. Resume. Uh, background information to be submitted. And then must submit resume for membership approval before paying the annual membership fee of $65. Are you in? Sure, yeah. Let's become exorcists. Well, just have a laugh. Can I have a card? Yeah, I think you get a card. Can I? I wear... Can't get into the members only lounge. You've got a. You got. A... So I'm guessing that's extra money a year. Uh, oof. oh yeah, but you get a lot of pamphlets. Oh, well, there you go. Nice. That's what I've got this time. Well, that was good. Thanks. <laughs> Are we, uh, we'll sign up after this. Let us know if you want to sign up and email us at themadasspodcast.com and we'll, we'll probably get like a group discount or something. Well, they're in like 22 states, I think, in America. So let's, I say we bring it over to the UK. Like Ghostbusters, we can get our own car. Yeah, yeah. Who are you going to call? It's Jimmy the... and Joyery in their order of exorcist. Yeah. <laughs> 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 ah, it's not sketchy, but it might catch on. <laughs> We'll make our own... Uh, oh, my show. God. Sorry. Also, I've just seen uh, Frid- Fridkin considered Roy Schneider to be the role of Father Karras as well. Karras. Roy Schneider. Am I thinking of the right person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. From Jaws. Yes. Yeah. Uh, That would have been... Uh, yeah, it was good. That might have been right. But it was vetoed by uh, Blatty. Didn't want him. A lot of people were vetoed. Yeah, loads. Okay, I have two more bits for Frights and Delights. Oh, okay. If we have time. I think we have time. Uh, the demon is called Pazuzu, which is we've already covered. A Mesopotamian demon god that was both feared and worshipped. He had a bit of an identity crisis, apparently, as oh. he was made up of all sorts of bits and bobs. He had the body of a man, head of a lion... Talons of an eagle, two pairs of wings, because why not? Oh, yeah, f*** yeah. A scorpion tail. Of course. So I'm guessing he had a hard time of it growing up looking like that. 
which may explain the temper and anger issues later on in his godding duties. Okay, yeah. He's a, what is he? What is this man? Pazuzu? Yeah. A demon god. Demon god. Something to do with wind? Uh, the, wind. the lead god of wind. I don't know how many gods of wind there are, but he was the main man. Now, you don't think this person... I'm calling him a person and not a god. Or maybe we should call him an extraterrestrial. You think he's an alien? I am looking at pictures, and yes, I believe he may be an alien. Hang on, let me have a look. Oh, shit. <laughs> look at that, that's alien. Yeah, that's alien-y. <laughs> he did, he was always left hand up, right hand down, something like that, in his pictures. Oh, what does that mean? That means something, doesn't it? He's pointing to his home planet. Oh, no, hang on, it means a uh, Pazuzu phone home. Oh, you are such a piss take. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he made an appearance in an episode of The Simpsons, Treehouse of Horrors, possessing Maggie and Bart in a spoof of The Exorcist. <laughs> Pazuzu is featured on gangster rapper Kanojo's 2019 album cover called Hood God 2, Pazuzu. Nice. <laughs> um, let's find that album and put it on our Facebook page. Definitely. Don't even, and uh, yeah, I'm going to look forward to listening to that for a few seconds. Uh, I've got one more fright. Okay. Why are you looking for more Pazuzus? <laughs> yeah, go you're on. looking for evidence of alien Pazuzu, aren't you? Don't let Jimmy have the laptop. <laughs> he needs notes. Right. This last fright is uh, a big fright. Are you ready? Yep. Do you know Paul Bateson? Paul Bateson? Yes. No, I don't. I have a quote from an article online, which is a big quote. Okay. Paul Bateson, born in August 24th, 1940, is an American former radiographer and convicted murderer. He appeared as a radiological technologist in a scene from the 1973 horror film The Exorcist. Sorry, well done on pronouncing that word. Which one? That really long one. You absolutely smashed that. I won't try it again. <laughs> I just wanted to say. Um, it was inspired when the film's director, William Friedkin, watched him perform a cerebral angiography. Didn't do that one very well. Eh. Angiography. Angiography. Anyway, the previous year. The scene, with a considerable amount of blood, which is the next thing we talked about that made people faint, uh, was for many viewers the most disturbing scene. Medical professionals had praised it for its realism. So this guy was called Paul Bateson. He was the guy who helped the doctor in that scene. In 1979, Bateson was convicted of the murder of film industry journalist Addison Verrill and sentenced to a minimum of 20 years in prison. In 2003, he was released on parole, which ended after five years. Prior to Bateson's trial, police and prosecutors implicated him in a series of unsolved slayings of gay men in Manhattan, killings he had reportedly boasted about while in jail, bringing it up at his sentencing. However, no additional charges were ever brought against him, uh, for lack of evidence, basically. The experience inspired Freakin to make another film in 1980 called Cruising, oh. which was based on a novel written a decade earlier, Incorporated into it was uh, the storyline of um, into its storyline. It was the city's leather subculture, which Bateson Bateson had identified. So that novel was basically based on this, and then the same director from The Exorcist went and made the, that book into a film. 
Yeah. In 2012, Friedkin recalled having visited the jailed Bateson prior to his trial and having a conversation which suggested that either Bateson had committed the additional murders or merely that he was considering confession, confessing to them for a lighter sentence. However, there is no other record of incriminating evidence mentioned by Friedkin in that interview. Uh, in that Friedkin interview. <laughs> <laughs> Despite yes. this, Bateson is often described as a serial killer. As of 2019, it is not known if Bateson is still alive or if he is. Where is he living? Friedkin said in a 2018 interview that he had heard Bateson was living somewhere in upstate New York. A social security record shows that a Paul F. Bateson with the same birth date and a social security number issued in Pennsylvania died on September 15th, 2012. Oh, well, there you go. Fuck. And that is how you frighten delight. Yeah! Are we going to have a little walk on over to the Master of the Macabre, Jimmy? Well, yeah, a little mosey, innit? It's always a mosey. <laughs> mosey on over. You mosey on over there too, and we'll see you over there at Master of the Carb Corner. Yes. Master of the Macabre. Welcome to the Master of the Macabre. We're going to pick our favourite performer out of many very good performers in this film. There is a lot to talk about, Jimmy, in yes. terms of who deserves... Master of the Macabre or Mistress of the Macabre. It could go either way in this one. Oh, okay. Um, so, who have you got? How many have you got? And who are your honourable mentions? I've got one who I think should take the title, and then I've got three honourable mentions. I, I think I have this, not necessarily the same people, but the same. I have uh, one who I think deserves the medal sending to them. Yep. And I have, I think it was three honourable mentions, so tell me who your winner is. So, well, we're going straight to the winner. All right, tell me your honourable mentions. Uh, first one, I'm going to say Jason Miller. Yes. I uh, I think he played his character very, very well. Like, doesn't, he's, he's, he's toying with not wanting to be a priest anymore. Yeah, and it. He was a psychologist. Was he a psych? He was a psychologist. Yeah, but he was a counselor. boxer when he was younger. He, he had was some a boxer. Depth. Yeah, because he he um was like this character who he, he was never fully explained, but because his acting was so good, you could tell he had a rough background. Yeah, he's and like then found religion. Yeah, he's like that. He doesn't he, like you wouldn't think him to be a priest. Like you ever seen the film Sleeper, and it's got Robert De Niro in it, and he plays a priest. Yes. Yeah, it's kind of like that. Vaguely remember it anyway. Yeah, it's kind of kind of got that vibe, and he's got a bit of a rocky touch to him. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he's he he's one of them. He yeah, he was one of my honorable honorable mentions. Uh, Max von Sydow. Yeah. Is that how you say it? Yeah. Who cares? Fuck knows. People know who we mean. Yeah, but the older father who died yeah. at the end, who wasn't actually old, and I don't think oh, actually died. Brilliant. No, yeah. he definitely didn't die. I, mean, I don't know if he's alive now. He didn't die in the film. No. Uh, he he was only 44. I know, yeah. Shit. Insane. Yeah. And they made him look old. So, well, that's good. Probably should have mentioned that in visual effects, but never mind. The other one, uh, Ellen Burstein, who played Chris McNeil. Yeah. She played it very, very good. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. <laughs> She, uh, when 
I heard that Audrey Hepburn nearly had her job. Yeah. I thought, ah, yeah, I get that. But Burstyn did it really, really well playing an actress who may have been an Audrey Hepburn type. Yes. So I think that was better than just having Audrey Hepburn because I think Audrey Hepburn would have been like playing herself. Yeah. And also it would have been set in Rome. Which yeah. Was, It'd have, yeah, it'd have been a bit too much. Too it, Catholic. It, it would have been. He- it would have. Yeah, it would have ended up being a Hepburn film. Yeah, like it would have been a Brando film. Uh, so uh, I agree with all of them. There's okay. Honorable mentions. I keep, sorry, I keep saying honorable weirdly, so I'm just going full. Um, what's the sitcom called? Hello, hello, <laughs> hello, hello. Yeah, she has an honorable mention. I like her honorable mentions. Oh. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> uh, so I have for my mistress of the macabre. Is yours a mistress? I'm guessing it has to be. Yeah, she's a mistress. Linda Blair. Yes, Linda Blair. Good. Because she was 12. And she was something otherworldly here. She liked, yeah. She did it all, except, I believe, from the masturbation with the crucifix and smacking her mum around the face. A few little bits that weren't suitable. In fact, she did a lot that wasn't suitable, yeah, but they absolutely. did. Th- they had to stand in for the uh, the ones that would have been like child abuse, <laughs> <laughs> um, which I'm glad about because that would have been weird. Yes. Uh, the voice of the demon was overdubbed by another actress, so that wasn't. They tried it with her and tried changing the tone of her voice, but they had a, someone overdub that. Yeah, but it was. They were uncredited, weren't they? Yeah, credited later on. Oh, okay, later when, on. I'm guessing when the film was successful and they wanted to have their name in it. And to get her rough voice, she didn't she eat raw eggs? No, was it raw eggs or was it boiled eggs? I think it was raw eggs. Raw eggs. Smoking and drinking. Well, yeah, whiskey. She had, And she was she had a problem with alcohol. She was well. an alcoholic. She so was an did alcoholic. she have someone there to like sit with her and... Yeah. I don't know what, make sure she didn't get too pissed? I'd have no idea. Yeah, so that's how she got her. Uh, that's how she got the gruff voice yeah. for that. But Linda Blair, even though it was overdubbed, she had to perform all those lines. Yeah, lots of swearing. In 1973, she's also she has a little bit part in uh, one of the films that got you into horror. Am I right? What so was that? The, what the film? The film that I think the film that you quote is getting you into horror was Scream. Yes, is that correct? So yeah. she has the, she has a bit part in Scream. Who? So, uh, she's one of the she's one of the reporters. She's uncredited. Oh, she in interviews it. Courtney Cox. Yeah, I think so. Or, yeah. or tries to. Yeah, it's only very. very oh, I don't know. It was Linda Blair, but I yeah. know who you mean. Okay. Yeah. Uh, wow. She dated Rick James for a bit as well. All right. <laughs> she's got her own uh, Wild West clothing line. <laughs> she's taken the standard route for uh, child stars. Then. Of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> I believe Macaulay Culkin also has a, a clothing line of Western stuff. <laughs> Does he? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I think she did a lot of um, for a twelve-year-old, and then I bet she had a lot of fun saying all the swears. Yeah, having permission, and her yeah. mum was in the film. I think her mum was one of the nurses who took a blood sample earlier, oh. and she called her mum a effing or something. Oh, I don't know why I bleeped. Verbally, the F word, but said cunt. <laughs> then, yeah, cutting something. It's an interesting word. Cunting. So, Linda Blair, <laughs> she's appeared in 75 commercials. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Okay. Do not and hook me up name to every single internet. one of those products. Okay. Pepsi. Coke. <laughs> Whoa. There's no way she was in both. Uh, jelly beans. Jelly. <laughs> beans. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, right. So Linda Blair's medal is in the post. Yes, Linda Blair. She is still alive, isn't she? Yes, she was doing films. I checked on her IMDb profile. She's doing quite a bit still, every so often. Anything of any... uh... Nope. Okay. (laughs) Not that I can remember. (laughs) Anyway, we're going to get to the Madhouse rating. Did you (laughs) it? I thought you were going to do this. The Madhouse rating. Ladies and gentlemen, you are joined by your young priest, Joey, and your old priest, Jimmy. Sounds a bit creepy. (laughs) This is the Madhouse rating system. (laughs) Come behind the altar. (laughs) Here we go. Bring a towel. (laughs) First up, we've got tension and suspense. Right, well, tension and suspense. It has good tension and suspense, Jimmy. Every good. single thing in this film worked really well in unison to create an amazing uh, aura of tension and suspense almost constantly. Uh, the music, the sound effects, the actresses and actors, the set designers, even the lore around this film at the time of release. Uh, banning a film in certain places does nothing except build up the real-life suspense around a film. Hearing rumours of the deaths of people involved in the film, two actors dying is horrendous, but it created this buzz around its release. Cool, yeah. I definitely want to see a film where people have died actually making it. Yeah, or, sorry, before it was released. Not making it. Anyway. (laughs) Point still stands. (laughs) The buzz around its release, like, as as though it's... The film isn't just scary as a film, but the very film itself could be dangerous. And it brings out that fear out of the screen and into the real world. It just becomes legendary. That's what was happening at the time. Yeah, and there was some weird, I think, an evangelicist person or something that said that there was actually a demon living in the reels of the film. Yeah, I mean, it sounds legit, doesn't it? Well, yeah, that or he was just off his fucking nut. You would be, because all of those little flashes of Pazuzu that keep coming up, you go, oh, well, that you're not meant to see. They're really quick, quick, quick. <laughs> Maybe cut. he thought only he could see them. Exactly. Well, that's a demon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was such a well-put-together film, uh, especially the director's cut. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. Uh, if there is something you can think of as a technique to create tension and suspense in a horror film, this film has it. But what it does better than lots of films is it doesn't just, like, include jump scares and scary music, etc. In the way that it's just ticking off a list of what you have to have to make a horror film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of masterfully crafts these things into the mix and blends them into one big spectacle where the lines are blurred between techniques. Do you know what yes. I mean? Yes, it's a clever, I think it's a clever horror film. Yeah, and it doesn't just go with what you've just said—the like the obvious jumps. Makes <laughs> 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 you. Yeah, it's uh, and especially for that time, nineteen seventy-three as well. I think. Yeah, it has this 
uh, a thing it does where everything kind of works together and blends together to work out one so you can't say oh that's a scare that's a scare it's just the whole atmosphere of this film is created by all these techniques being used really well and it's a, yeah and it's it's a little bit disturbing isn't it to see a 12 year old child masturbate with a crucifix yeah it's not something that happens regularly <laughs> yeah i don't think yeah i don't think you, i don't think you get it a lot now do you no it's been done though yeah but i would give it a Score a score a start a point. How do we do Giving this? it a score, Bob. <laughs> yeah. Giving it a score. <laughs> Putting a score down for it. Uh, yeah, I'll give it a star. Yeah. Alright. Next up Gore and Visual Effects. <laughs> Building your own suspense there with a bit of a Oh pause. yeah. Master of it. Uh so three separate beds, Jimmy. <laughs> what was that an invitation? <laughs> They made three separate beds to oh. create the effect of the bed bouncing around. They were all designed to create different movements and were spliced together in post-production editing. So... Okay, that seems a bit much. It does seem a bit much. Because they not make one bed to do all of it. I don't know, because there were bits where it was jumping up and bits where it was doing like a, a sway, each side's going up, and then another one where they were like going side to side. Oh, uh, maybe it just broke. Yeah, well, well, yeah. Uh, the set for Reagan's bedroom was refrigerated, sometimes to around zero degrees Celsius, to create the chilled breath effect. Some actors were reported to have sweat freezing on them, and one time there was enough moisture in the air to create a light snowfall within the room. Yeah, that is fucking good. The uh, four refrigeration units kept breaking down, which is another thing that added to the already overrunning time schedule. Linda Blair had to do hours of work in this children's room wearing just a nightie. And to this day, she cannot stand being cold. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Who fine, can? But fair play. Yeah, exactly. It, well, but she uh, like she hates it more than most. Right. Yeah. Now I didn't know until I looked this up. But when I was watching it, I was like, her vomit looks like pea and ham soup. I thought, hmm, I wouldn't mind some pea and ham soup. And then I read it, and it turns out that her vomit is actually pea soup. Is pea and ham soup even a thing? Yeah. That sounds absolutely hideous. Why? It's absolutely amazing. It's thick. It's like gloopy, like proper thick. You could cut it. That doesn't so make good. it any better for me. Green, bright green, little chunks of like ham in it. And then you get your bread or your, your crusty roll, and you dip it, you scoop it up. Like a spoon, and it's like, whoa, it's thick. Like, literally like that vomit. Well, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> it's lovely. <laughs> it is lovely. Yeah. But it, it weren't meant to go in his eye either. In mouth. It went in his mouth. It went in his mouth. Yes. It wasn't meant to go in his mouth. No. Right. It was meant to hit him in the chest. Oh, so yes, of His course. reaction of, oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah, he was scraping it at his tongue. Yeah. That was real. Yeah, he was Because it was that. cold, horrible pea soup that had been in a pipe. Well, he had a bit of... Splattered out. Yeah, he had a bit of a hard time of it, because didn't the director fire a gun right next to his head as well? Yes. Why was that? I can't remember. Um, I can't remember exactly, but there was the... I don't know, actually. To make him startled or something, but he, did, he wasn't expecting and it. And didn't he have a go saying... I'm an actor. I will act startled. Yes. Yeah. You don't need to fire a gun for yeah. me to act startled. He has a point. Yeah. I mean, this act, this director, sorry, seems like a right dick. I think he did a good job. Was really good. Very clever. Yeah. Doesn't seem like the nicest man. 
Nah, probably not. Okay, so we've covered my next bit of graphic. Gra- uh, sorry, what we're talking about. Gore, visual Gore. effect. Uh, Max von Sadow, uh, Father Merrin, was only 44 during filming and was playing a much older man. Did you achieve this effect? The makeup artist, Dick Smith. You Dick s- Smith? <laughs> Dick Smith. He's good at them, is he? Uh, them. Who knows? He did probably did the uh, Virgin Mary statue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he used stipple, which I have checked around, and it seems like a type of rubbery, paintable latex. Stipple. 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 Hard stipple. Anyway, it was applied while his skin was pulled tight, and then when the latex was dry, his skin was let go, returned to its usual place, and the stipple creased up like an old dude's skin. It, it looked fucking good. It did. It, it did. <laughs> it took three hours. <laughs> to do this and Von said I was not a happy chappy I bet he wasn't because I honestly thought because all the films that I've seen him in look like he was that age but then when we when I was looking for things to say on this and it turned out he was 44 I was like fuck me yeah a good job there yeah but it took a long time to to get there he wasn't in the film that long no he's not in the film hardly hardly at all really um, the spider walk down the stairs were, was executed by contortionist Linda A. Hager. She used a harness and wires to perform the stunt as though she was gliding down the stairs. This is for you, Zoe, by the way, because you sent me the clip of this. I'd never seen the director's cut before until, you know, getting ready for this podcast. Yeah. But um, it was done to appear as though she was gliding down the stairs, keeping her hands and feet touching the stairs just to keep the appearance of her walking on her own down the stairs. This shot did not make the cut for theatrical release, which is why I, I hadn't seen it. As Freakin thought it happened too early in the story and they were unable to conceal the wires effectively. He later added the scene back into the director's cut released in 2000 with the wires removed digitally. Yes, and her mouth bleh, bleh, blood all yep. pouring out, which was lovely. I thought that was amazing. Yeah, it was really good. And when Zoe emailed us her entry into our competition yep. and I said... What are you talking about, basically, with the crab walk? And she <laughs> sent me the video link. So now I know. Father Marion arriving deserves a mention. It's the shot that was on uh, most of the post- posters, the VHS and DVD covers. It stood outside the house in the dark with the street lights glaring around him in a misty haze, and it looks fantastic. It does also a little bit noncy. Why? A strange man standing underneath a lamp outside a 12-year-old girl's bedroom window. Yeah, but he's turning up to do an exorcism. We don't know that, though. She doesn't know that. She yep. might think Burke's coming back for another diddle. Well, I thought... Oh, jeez. <laughs> Bye-bye, podcast. I, <laughs> I love it when light's used in, in that kind of way, though, in a film. I always notice it because it impresses me a lot, so I wanted to mention it. I didn't think it looked pedophilic. Okay. Uh, the most iconic moment... The head-spinning scene was a Fuck mixture yeah. of a doll and good editing. Ooh, From really? what I could find online, which were different takes on how it was done, uh, Linda would uh, twist her head as far around as it was comfortable to start, and then the rest is uh, a very well-made doll that turns around and then does that last little whip at the end. And it, it works really well. In the novel, um, what was it in the novel? She didn't turn her head all the way around anyway. She didn't. No. No. Oh, okay. She but it, it looks good on film. A though. lot. It did. It worked really well. So I, I'm giving it a star for that as well. Star for that. 
Next up, we have performance. I'm guessing you don't have any notes on this because you don't have any notes. Well, so um, I'm going to say that the acting was, it was good. It's very insightful. Thank you very much. You know where to come for the insights <laughs> into anything. Uh, anything, really. I'm yeah. right here. Just you come at me with something and I'll give you my honest. Yeah, it was right. Yeah. <laughs> I did good. Well done. Well done. You've done your job. You can tell when you like something because you go, oh, that was cheeky. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not sexual, by the way, everyone. I'm not talking about sex. Right, well, yeah. <laughs> this is a film where the acting from everyone deserves a mention, but we don't have time. But I have the four standouts we talked about. Linda Blair, Ellen Burstyn, Max von Sydow, and Jason Miller. Uh, Jason Miller had never acted on film before. Friedkin saw him in a stage play and cast him based on that performance, and Miller ended up receiving an Oscar nomination for this role. Oh, well done. There was an intensity... In all the performances that fitted the film so well, it was brilliant. It's one of those lightning in a bottle moments where all the the right people come together at the right time with the right script and director, even if he seems like a bit of a dick, and they do something amazing. We could have had Christopher Walken as Carras, by the way. Oh, Christ, another one to the list. Uh, apparently, or De Niro, as we've mentioned already, and they are two of my favourite actors ever. But I wouldn't switch Miller out of this film for anyone. Linda Blair was so nearly not in this film because her agent didn't even put her forward for the role. Her mother took her into the audition herself after freaking had been searching for freaking ages for someone. And we ended up with a perfect Reagan. Absolutely. So even the things that went wrong in the casting ended up going right because we got this cast out of it. I also um, suspect the performances were boosted by freaking's decision like freezing them in a refrigerated room. Very clever. And shooting guns by the head. Yeah, yeah. And all the other shit. You can probably find online about this film that he did. So, for performance, I'm giving it a star as well. Yeah, I'm with that. It's three out of three. Three out of three. What is number four? Q. Oh, it's, I know what it is. It's something to do with the noises. Musical <laughs> sounds. No, it's not. It's musical score. <laughs> musical sounds. Uh, sound effects. Coming from a musician in a band. <laughs> uh, musical sound. <laughs> Uh, the score is another thing in this film that could have been different if one or two things had gone well in the eyes of Friedkin. Bernard Herrmann, who at this point already had Psycho and Citizen Kane under his belt as doing the scores for them, he was met by Friedkin in England to discuss the score. Friedkin wanted Herrmann to go to the US to work and Herrmann wanted to stay in the UK and send tapes to Friedkin in the US. Unable to come into an agreement, the partnership died before it had properly started. A man called Alalo Shifton was then appointed and got so far as providing an entire full orchestral score, which Freakin did not like at all. It was the opposite of, opposite of what he had asked for, so he sat that off too. It's said that Freakin hated it so intensely that he shouted at the orchestra performing it for him to get them to stop. He removed the reels from the machine that had been recording them and threw them out into the street, all while the composer Alalo and his wife were present. Then, he was just chilling in an office at Atlantic Records when he noticed Mike Oldfield's record Tubular Bells on the side. Yes! He liked the look of the cover, so he whacked it on the old record player, and he found his hook for the film. The Tubular Bells tune is so iconic in terms of it being the Exorcist theme, although it's only played four times in the film, and only for a few seconds each time. But it's f***ing iconic. You hear it and you think, the Exorcist. Yeah, it, it did its job. 
Do you so know he's, where... he's good at picking things out. He just doesn't have that way of dealing with people. <laughs> yeah. Do you know where uh, where it was recorded, Tubular Bells? No. Uh, do you know where I'm from? Oxford. Yeah! It was recorded at the manor in Shipton-on-Cherwell, which is literally two minutes or so from the... Village I grew up in of Kidlington. It's literally down the road. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Claim to fame. Wow. Yeah. Claim to knowledge. <laughs> Trivia. <laughs> and then Mike Skinner from the streets went and did something there as well. Who? Mike Skinner, the streets. Okay. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's move on. The sound crew made use of everyday objects and things to create the films and many weird sound effects. They made use of beagles. Pigs going to the slaughter and a trapped bee, to name a few. The ma- the main man brought in to create the effects was Gonzalo Gavira, or Gonzalo Gavira, <laughs> or however you choose to pronounce that name. One of his most notable sounds, the 360 twisting of Reagan's head, was created by twisting an old leather wallet against the grill of the microphone. Ooh. So, you know, top of the range technology being used there you know well you got to do what you got to do in it but i give it you've got to give it a star as well got to give it a star 100% got to give it a star so what we're on next jimmy so i believe we're on overall experiments Exper- overall, overall experiments overall experiments no we're on overall on. experience and we're not doing experiments on my overalls <laughs> no Okay. I haven't got my overalls on. Well, this film was... I think it was right. Yeah? Yeah. yeah of What's course. your insight? My insight is I enjoyed this film <laughs> very, very much. You should uh, write for papers, film reviews. Mate, I write for IMDb. Do you? Yeah, you, see my, you see my bits that come up and it just goes, yeah, it was right, Jim Faulkner. <laughs> nice. Nottingham. <laughs> <laughs> Formerly of Kidderminster. Kidderminster? What did you say? Kidlington. Kidlington. Where's Kidderminster? Kidderminster, f*** nice. All right, okay. Well, uh, okay. So, overall experience. The famous critic, Gene Siskel, gave this a four out of five. This is notable because Siskel usually did not like horror. He didn't like the terrorising of children in films. Oh, who who doesn't? It's not like that. It's this weirdo. God. Uh, Something he criticised Poltergeist for is his terrorising of children. However, he thought The Exorcist was a brilliantly made film. He particularly liked uh, the heroism of the priests sacrificing themselves to save a child. So I'm going to give it a star. I will say this, though, that films like this, they are bigged up to quite a high level. Yeah. But purely because of the the shocking scenes in it. So you've got basically... I watched it with Nat, and I don't think she enjoyed it as much. Okay, because you know, you know, you know the iconic scenes, but then you've got there that if you put all the iconic scenes together, that's probably what like ten, fifteen minutes worth of the film. If you put all those scenes, yeah. back to back, but then you've got the other hour and forty, hour and fifty minutes, of, yeah. of the build, all the build up and shit. Um. I liked, I thought all the build-up and shit was made very well. I did I as well. The, the film was a, uh, a yeah. masterpiece. I'm not taking that away from it, but like p- 
when someone say like you go to a twenty year old and you go they like horror films and you go you got to watch The Exorcist. Yes. It's one of the best horror films ever made. Yeah. And then they watch it and it's like, well, well, okay. I'm just waiting around for half an hour while someone masturbates with a crucifix. Yeah, this is a film lover's film, I think. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I know what you mean. Yeah, absolutely. And it's very hard watching it with Nat because you just kept talking all the way through it. Oh, was she possessed? No, but I was pissed afterwards. <laughs> pissed. <laughs> uh, Shut up. Keep quiet. Do you know the best thing for me about covering this film? No. My autocorrect on Word <laughs> kept changing freakins to foreskins. <laughs> and I didn't realize until I had my wife check that some parts I'd written made sense. <laughs> Why do you have foreskins? <laughs> freakins. So that happened. She's going to be questioning your history on this tablet as well after this. Oh, it, it can't get any worse than it already is. Okay. So what are you giving it for overall experience anyway? Um, Star. You're giving it a star? Obviously a star. So we have a, another six out of five film, our second one. Yeah, yeah. Hereditary was... and Exorcist. Me, Hereditary was, was it? Yeah. Excellent. Well done. Exorcist up there. Classic. Yes. I think we should be able to go higher for this. I think on in retrospect, Hereditary was a five out of five, and we got we got carried away. I think so too. Yeah, you're right. I think we got caught up in the moment. I yeah. think we got caught up in the in the hype. Can we change it? Like we do what we want. We're the, we're the host of this show. We can do we can do whatever we want. All right. So uh, we're gonna pause this for a second. We're gonna converse like we actually know what we're talking about. Okay. And then we're gonna come back and make an official statement. Okay. Okay. You ready? Yep. So we apologise, there may have been an oversight on one of the reviews of Hereditary. It is actually not a 6 out of 5, it is a 5 out of 5. Now we apologise for any inconvenience this has caused you. The Madhouse Council convened and came to a decision to retract the 6 out of 5 unanimously. We got caught up in the hype, didn't we? We are now only have one 6 out of 5 film. We will not be retracting. Yeah, yeah. The Exorcist. Exorcist. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Moving on now then. Swiftly. Not moving on, we're done. You need to do my film choice, Jimmy. Yeah, we do. Right, are you ready for this? I'm ready. I'm ready. You'll get this easy. In the summer of 1989, a group of bullied kids bands together to destroy a shape-shifting monster, which disguises itself as a clown and preys on the children of Derry, their small main town. It's... Yes. Original or remake? Uh, I've gone for the 2017. Oh, f***ing yes. Okay, that's I've quite good because Chapter I want 2's to see just it. come out. So. Yeah, that's what I thought. And I've not seen the remake from 2017, so I want to watch that. Oh, f- yeah, that's going to be good. This is now... I'm going to have to stay sober for that next ep- that episode. Why? I've got a lot of shit about... About it, I love good shit, love, bad shit, good shit. Love Stephen King. Yeah, I love so his I. whole world he's created. It's our first Stephen King. Yes, it I is. love it all. I love it how it all. Ah, oh, wow. We'll, we'll get to that. I yep. bore people at work with. <laughs> well, I like telling the, them about. Is it nineteen ninety? The original Tim Curry. Yeah, I like that. I've not seen this, but I've heard really good things. So yeah. we're doing it. Yes, and that is our episode for the day, Mister Jimmy. Yeah. 
Uh, if you feel like it, email us at the Madass Podcast at Outlook.com and we'll get back to you. We may even read an email out again one day. Yeah. Uh, and that's it, really. Just uh, check us out on Facebook. Check us out on Instagram. Uh, please share, subscribe, and rate, and do all the other stuff you can do for a podcast. Uh, tell a friend, and we will see you next time for it. What's funny about that? <laughs> uh, tell a friend. <laughs> tell a Who friend. Tell two more friends, and they'll tell two more friends. It's like That's a horror works. pyramid scheme. Anyway, we will see you next week at the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, keep that next week. <laughs> we will see you next week for the next episode of the Mag House Podcast. We have just lost it here. We've fallen to pieces. We're going away now. Have a nice night. Chris confides in Karas and tell Karas. Shit, right, we'll edit that bit out.